Welcome to the Almost Famous podcast, the show where we get the opportunity to talk to professionals at the top of their field in the music industry, discussing their journeys and experiences. On today's episode, I'm talking to an international touring DJ and producer of over 25 years. We talk about his online education platform, plus the incredible stories from his career and much more. Here's my episode with Andrew Ferguson. You're listening to Almost Famous, a music industry podcast championing independence powered by The Famous Company. Whether you're an artist or music industry professional, ensure you don't miss a beat by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. So we're going to be talking to Nominé, a.k.a. Outrage, radio DJ, touring DJ, producer, music educator. He's had 25 years in the music industry, and I'm really excited to talk to him today about all of that. Nominé, how are you feeling today? I'm all right. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Now, you're going by several different names. We've got a few different aliases. What do you want to go by today? I'm I'm happy with whatever. Andrew's fine, to be honest. I guess that's the easy one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> let's go. Let's go with Andrew. Thank you for taking the time to talk to us today. I know you're a very busy man. Can you explain to me then and the people out there some people may not know this, more about your online learning platform. It's known as Education and Base. And what motivated you to start this? Yeah, well, first of all, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. But yeah, Education and Base. So I left school with no qualifications. I was a rubbish student. Thought I was stupid. Was told I was stupid quite a lot as well. Turns out I just had chronic anxiety. Didn't know that till later on in life, but it just meant I couldn't do things like exams. So sitting at a desk against the clock wasn't the best way to test my intelligence and give me confidence as as to whether I was, you know, good enough to achieve qualifications. So just generally at school that kind of haunted me from like not being able to read the page of a book just by drifting, not being able to focus on homework, not getting that home support by my parents that would just say, have you done your homework? I'd be like, yep, but hadn't. So it was kind of like a thing that I just floated through school and um, music kind of grabbed me the first wave of Jungle when, you know, everyone everyone wanted to be a DJ and MC in, in the first early days of Jungle. And then I was saving my school dinner money to buy vinyl at the time. And yeah, music just became my career for, for 10, 15 years. But just to kind of jump back to the education thing, I fell into teaching in around about, when was it now? 2000, uh, maybe 2010, I got a job in a college teaching a DJ unit. Um, One of my neighbours was working at a college. They were looking for someone to teach this DJ unit. So I did that for a, a year and then kind of built it up from there to teaching music production. And I ended up running the degree there but during that time I also did a master's degree I went back to education myself and I got onto the master's through my industry experience so in the same week I got a place on a master's my first teaching job and my album deal with temper and for someone that suffers from chronic anxiety that was quite a lot to say the least but I stuck with it did it and taught for seven years during that time I did a teaching degree as well And then I kind of just got to the end of that and just thought I wanted to, first of all, I was kind of 
amazed at what I'd achieved for someone that hadn't quite, you know, been academic or whatever. And um, I just wanted to do the energy I was putting into teaching. I wanted to put it into something that could cast the net a lot wider and help more people on an international level. And that's kind of where education and base come from. We started off as an event that was down at Brick Lane once a month where we had a multi-genre DJ lineup. But before the DJ sets, we'd have like feedback sessions. So people would bring their music along or CDs and USBs and whatnot and would give them feedback on the sound system and then showing them some tips and tricks on, on um, logic and whatnot and then Q&As and, and stuff like that. And then that just became an online education platform, initially just for myself to replace my job. And then it soon grew into something a lot bigger than that. We've since taken it around the world as like a, a masterclass concept. And now it sits online as we've got over 2000 music production tutorials, courses and lectures across all genres. We have accredited programs in partnership with Rock School London, and we do a lot to support alternative provision in the UK. So kids that have that are not in mainstream education that need an alternative provision we support that and we also support special schools and SEND so special special education needs and disabilities so all of that's kind of in line with my own experience of not being academic but yet achieving something like a master's and a teaching degree and just waving the flag for yes you can do it regardless of your mental health regardless of your learning difficulties we're there to show you through music there's something there might not be a piece of paper might not be a certificate but you know, there's there's things there that we can all tap into for our love of music, and that is where educational basis. <laughs> yeah, I love that. What was the reaction to the people around you from that kind of success? Like, I'm assuming they'd never think, "Oh, Andrew, when he's older, he's going to be an educator." No, it's mad because I, I literally I had no love for education whatsoever because I just felt stupid. Honestly, it was like couldn't do homework. I'd look around me, and and I'd really admire and envy my peers that were handling their homework and getting the good grades and I just felt so inadequate in those circles but then I see those same people now and like you know they're they're doing their thing and, and stuff and um it, but it's just nice for me to have kind of far exceeded my own expectations regardless of being put down and I was I was put down by my parents always told me to get a proper job even though I was running around the world as a DJ you know get a real job but I'm touring the world what do you want me to do or like, you know, ex-partners that are saying like, you know, you're chasing pipe dreams that will never amount to anything. So, yeah, it feels good to kind of just be doing good and handing down and educating when I don't actually, you know, didn't feel like I was um, much of a student myself. So to be in this position, it's, a, it's an amazing thing. Yeah, I want to keep on with education and base. We are going to jump to a few things other than this, but you announced this month that you're teaming up with London College of Music at the University of West London. Uh, education and bass will be supporting the design, co-delivery and management of a hip hop performance course, uh, production degree. Um, it's going to be all about, of course, I imagine taking everything you've been doing over the last couple of years and throwing it into this. So one, how did this come around? And also, can you give me a little bit of an example of what the course will be like? Is it going to be very much like the online platform or is it going to be a little bit different? Yeah, so we are, I studied at UWL, University of West London, LCM. That's where I did my master's. Um, we've been in talks about various projects and, and stuff over the past few years anyway. And um, yeah, they just asked us if, you know, we'd like to support 
their new hip hop degree, which is the first of its kind in the UK. And what a great thing, you know, waving the flag for some history and culture that's gone on to inspire so much of the music world as we know it, not just hip hop itself has gone on to inspire jungle, drum and bass, grime, dubstep, you know, even pop. It's like a, it's, it's a genre that's done so much for the world of music and to kind of celebrate that and have a pathway where people can gain degree level qualification is an amazing thing. So it's an in-person, it's, you know, it's a University of West London LCM, London College of Music program. It's delivered there. They've got the most amazing studios and resources. Honestly, it's like insane. They're kind of Neve mixing consoles and their studios and their synth libraries and stuff like that. So they're really kind of well equipped to do that. So we're currently just making the final tweaks to the actual practicality of what the course looks like. The academic structure's in place, but we're now getting into the nitty gritty of kind of the course, which is going to consist of, you know, studying the history, the culture, the kind of evolutionary kind of changes from the beginning to the most contemporary version of hip hop. So both culturally and practically, what does it mean as a as a sound production technique. So analyzing and practicing all the production techniques, looking at the different kind of vocal styles and how the vocal styles of hip hop have evolved since the beginning to the modern day and everything in between, how the message and um, all of the, the political side of it has gone on to inspire as well, the words of hip hop. And then the performance side of it from being a performer, a vocalist, a turntablist, a DJ. So it's, you know, it's going to be a well-rounded, really, I mean, when I read the outline, I, I wanted to do the course. It looked that exciting. Like, it's really going to be a great programme. So, yeah, it's uh, it's an in-person programme. There will be some online stuff, but it's it's an, in, an in-person programme. It's like a, just a full-on university degree. What does that mean for you? Like, you're a, you're someone who grew up in this culture. You're, you surround yourself in it. This is, this is like your bread and butter. What does it mean to have something at such a high level of education? And have you had any criticism over this uh, from, say, the, oh, how can I put this? I don't want to say old fashioned way of thinking, um, but the people who are more educational purists that don't know if this belongs there. Do you know what? Props, just props to London College of Music and, and UWL, really, because they're the ones that kind of, this was their thing. This was their idea. It wasn't like we went to them with the idea and they just, you know, I guess that's just something they believed was needed. And, and it is, you know, I'd love to see drum and bass degrees, dubstep, grind, whatever, you know, underground bass music, again, in a similar sort of way as, of, as what hip hop's done. You know, so much of UK born music as well has gone on to inspire so much of what we know and love. So it, it feels amazing and, and hopefully others will follow suit, you know, other universities, other education providers, because there's there's been a big problem. We know that there's been a big problem in waving the flag for kind of history and culture and where music has come from and innovators and the fact that it's gone on to inspire things that we're not even aware of, you know, like it all starts with education and while I was teaching, I was always banging the drum for like kind of dub, King Tubby, you know, without Tubby and Scratch Perry, I wouldn't be sitting here right now, you know, and, and like educating the kids on, you know, you're sitting there listening to whatever it is you're listening to, but this is where it came from. This sound system culture, this essence, this beginning is where it came from. And I just think you need to educate people from, from early. And as much as the classical side of things is important, the Mozarts and stuff of the world, 
so are the King Tubbies, so are the Cool Herks, you know, so is jazz, blue, funk, soul, all of that stuff. So I think, hopefully, I think others will follow suit, but it's an amazing thing to be a part of. Yeah, I want to take you back a little bit then. Can you remember what it felt like when you first got signed to Goldie's Metalheads? Yeah, yeah. It was crazy. So I, a drum and bass producer, Spirit, he's no longer with us, God rest his soul, Duncan Busto. He... I was releasing music on his label and he was always good for giving me feedback. Him and Digital, a long-time friend of mine, Digital and Spirit, you know, um, co-produced together so many amazing tracks. And, um, yeah, I did a track and I knew Duncan was playing in Switzerland with Goldie. And I said, you know, can you play this? Because I, I know Goldie likes to sign tracks in the moment in a club. Here's it on the sound system. And he's like, what? what's this? I want this. And I, that's just how Goldie did things back then and, and still does. But I just know I saw it so many times. We'd run up to the decks and say, what's this? And next six months later, that track would come out on Metalheads. So I said, look, can you play this kind of um, in your set for Goldie? He goes, I'm going to play it last. I'm playing before Goldie. I'm going to play it last. So I got a text about four in the morning. Goldie went mental. The track got four rewinds. Don't give out to anyone. He's going to call you, right? And I hadn't really spoke to Goldie much. Um, I'd always go around with CDs to raves up and down the country and I'd give certain DJs CDs all the time. But I haven't, hadn't really spoke to him. He knew me by face to the point where the one time I didn't give him a CD, he come up to me and said, where's my CD? So he kind of knew who I was and giving him music, but it weren't quite ready at that point. So anyway, of course, I'm jumping out of bed like... I suffer from anxiety. I've always got butterflies in my stomach anyway, but this felt like Christmas Eve, six years old times a million. Do you know what I mean? I had this crazy, like I couldn't sleep, trying to watch TV. And then I didn't get a phone call. A few days went by and I was like, what? What's going on? So I phoned up Digital, my boy who knows Goldie really well. It's like, Steve, apparently Goldie wants this track. I haven't had the phone call yet and I'm just like going to explode soon. He goes, hang on, let me phone Goldie. So Digital phoned Goldie and then... Two minutes later, I get this random number on my phone. I just knew it was Goldie. And I went, hello. And he went, is that outrage? And I went, yeah. He goes, you're, a f- you're an F in C. Right. But, then my, they, but then my phone went, Doo, died. My battery died just at that point. <laughs> so he's like, are you outraged? You're an F in C. And my phone died as if like, I must have just cut him off because he said that to me. <laughs> and then, but I was like an hour away from my house with no charger. <laughs> So I'd been waiting for this phone call for days and then that happens. So I just get home, charge my phone, return the call and it was all good. And, and that was the experience of being signed to Goldie for the first time. <laughs> Did you ever speak to him about it later on on the line? Nah, I didn't really. There was a few times, you know, Goldie was known for like texting you at mad hours saying your tracks just smashed up a club in this country or or whatever but yeah not that that particular thing i haven't spoken to him about since but yeah it's definitely not a moment that i would forget no that's brilliant so i know it's becoming increasingly common for djs and people outside of the music industry to either go sober or decide to drink less and i know you've spoken about going sober in the past and and what do you think the actual path is for a musician to make that decision 
I know I can speak from my experiences. I've been in the industry for, for over a decade now. It's not common for people to start doing things at 10 in the morning at festivals. Um, and so it's, it's, not, it's not an easy one. Uh, and so I, I really do, I, I got a massive respect for you and anybody else who, who has come out and talked about it. Why do you think it's becoming more and more common now though that people are trying to better themselves if they need that? Well, I mean, over time, the damage that's done, it it brings you down. Like for me, I, I just knew that I would be dead. I'd be dead now. There's no there's no two ways about it. I was actually told that if I carried on, you know, I, I took myself down to this alcohol drop-in centre and um, young lady there at the time, you know, it was run by kind of recovering alcoholics and drug addicts and stuff that would just kind of sit and talk to you if you wanted to go in and have a chat. And she said to me, you're going to die because I was a binge drinker. I'd black out for like most of a 10 day binge. I wouldn't remember much of it, but I'd be drinking the whole time. And when someone says to you, you're going to die or you feel like at the time you feel like you're going to die. Um, I think that's enough. Well, it certainly was enough for me to kind of um, knock it on the head. So I think over time, I think people are just realizing that it's not sustainable for mental health for physical health. And I think more people are talking about it, which is making others more aware of the stuff that can go on, which is making them hope, hopefully kind of intervention going on because, you know, a lot of people knock it on the head because they just can't take anymore, like physically or mentally. Some don't get to that point and unfortunately it takes them. But I, I do think that because more people are talking about it, that there's a bit of a culture of, of awareness that probably wasn't so apparent when I kind of got into it because although saying that you know it's still a big party culture and, and I think binging is a, a big thing a lot of people binge on the weekends and stuff but I don't know I just think definitely people being a bit more open about it has, has certainly helped I think do you have people reach out to you yeah I have and you know sometimes it's a bit like I'm not even qualified to talk to you about or you know I've got to be careful with what I say because all I can ever do is you know I, I don't I can't really give advice I can only talk about my own personal experiences because I'm not qualified to talk to anyone about anything other than my experiences and I have to be really careful but I have I've had people hit me up with some really dark stuff in, in some really bad situations um, but I guess that's part and parcel with me being open with with things and, and I you know, I embrace it. I welcome it. I'll I'll talk to people if I can and I'll just you know, if if it's not something for me, I'll just advise them to to go and get help and speak to people. But yeah, people have reached out. Do you yourself find it a bit of a struggle? Um shows, club nights, festivals? No, not at all. I don't think ten years this September I haven't touched any alcohol or anything. I've no nothing. And I haven't it's weird that just that day when I was feeling like I was dying and I was told I'd die and I made that decision never again, which wasn't the first time. I tried for so long, um, but I wasn't ready. I didn't believe I needed to. But since then, the only time, if I do think of alcohol, it's in disgust and my stomach turns. I haven't thought about alcohol in a positive way or missed it in 10 years. I don't know what it was. Well, I do, uh, but I can't explain. I can't kind of share with anyone else as to what that was that made me kind of shut it down like that. Just how I felt and my experiences and, you know, my dad was an alcoholic. I have half brothers that died of drug and alcohol abuse and I've seen it around my life, you know, 
for my whole life, I've seen people kind of losing themselves to it and friends that are in prison for life and whatnot due to alcohol and, and drug abuse. So, yeah, it's, it's um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, I hope if anyone's listening to this now, they can potentially learn from just this conversation, just to have an open conversation. We're not, we're not, we're, I know I'm not going to turn around right now and be like, hey, you got to do this, you got to do that. I'm in no position to tell anybody what to do. But if you've ever thought about having a conversation with someone, um, it's as easy as uh, me and Andrew having this conversation now. And I, I love that. Talking about learning though, and making a difference, you've got a lot of students. I, I think that's amazing. You mentioned there's over, is it 2000 videos or courses currently on your platform? Um, so there's a lot, there's a lot to learn, but what's the, what's the best thing or what's maybe like your most favorite thing that you've ever learned from one of your students, whether it be music wise or just, just in your personal life. From my students. Well, often in the classroom, a student would kind of put me to shame, <clears throat> which I had to embrace in the end. I think initially your ego is like, I'm the teacher, you can't tell me. <laughs> but then it's something that I had to quickly embrace and like I'd welcome it. I'd be like, I'm fumbling around here. Who can show me what to do? Because I clearly don't know. And I'd kind of like embrace that. And, and students practically would show me stuff all the time because, you know, they're digital natives. They're born into, into technology and I kind of learned it. As, as it kind of, um, as I needed to, rather than being born into it. So on a practical level, all the time, you know, little tricks and stuff, little shortcuts with the technology that I didn't know. But I think more, like this week, for example, I work, you know, this month I've been working, well, we as Education and Base have been working with eight special education needs and disability schools in Leicestershire. And obviously that's an alternate reality where you've got, you know, young people with all kinds of struggles, like physical, mental, like beyond nothing we could, most of us will ever comprehend, you know, an alternate reality that we can never really comprehend. And I think we should all experience that because it's there. And, you know, there's people that work so hard to just support in that sector. But just to see, like I had a student, one of the students the other day who, you know, the software crashed and lost the project, not once, but twice. And this is their first time making music. They were really proud of their project and it crashed and they lost it. And not one side, not one sign of being upset about it, just cracked on. Just, you know, just obviously there was disappointment, but it wasn't obvious, you know, and, and, and they just got on with it. And, and that's just showed me that, you know, it's a classic example of when you when you're knocked down, you just get back up and you just try again. And you know, there's no such thing as failure. But there was a smile there, and even when the rest of the class were playing their track at the end of the day, you know, this young lad's track wasn't that as well developed. But you know, he, he did a great job to get it to a certain point. And it just that's the stuff that I learn when you know you've got people in this alternate reality that are just getting on with, that are smiling, and we can just have a moan about the most kind of pointless stuff really. So that's that stuff there when I'm working with what we may deem to be disadvantaged. Well certainly are disadvantaged in many ways compared to what we have, you know, but yet they, they've got the time to smile and just get on with it and, and not moan about stuff. So that I learn a lot in in that sort of in that way. You may have already answered this next question with that, because I was gonna just say is there is there like anything or or anyone that you find inspiration to do your work from like if is, is is there a certain like 
who, what, or where do you find their inspiration from? Um, if you can maybe give me another or stick with that, that one before, because I guess seeing that puts a massive smile on your face and keeps you going. It does. It does. But there are a few, um, you know, I listen to a lot of motivational stuff, which, you know, is cool, but if you don't act on it and, and make it into a thing, that motivation just becomes like another obsession, addiction that you just have to top yourself up with if you're not kind of using it to form new habits and stuff. But Alan Watts, man, he got me through some dark times when I was doing my master's degree. I needed had a nervous breakdown. I was on medication for anxiety, depression and all sorts. Um, and I nearly had a nervous breakdown because I had a huge binge towards the end of my, uh, dis like the final dissertation to the point where I had to extend my deadline, not graduate with the rest of my peers, which was a bit disheartening, but I got through it. I was 1% away from getting a scholarship to a PhD, which was absolutely amazing. Um, but you know, that, that time there, um, Alan Watts, just listening to Alan Watts on YouTube, like, and how he breaks down Zen philosophy in a way that I understand, because a lot of Zen, it can be a bit like riddles and, you know, there's not quite, they're not quite telling you anything. It's just more kind of getting you to think in a certain way. But yeah, Alan Watts, Krishnamurti, Eric Thomas, if you want some hardcore, you should never sleep motivation. <laughs> the hip hop preacher, Eric Thomas, he's a bit hardcore, but you know, I love a, love a bit of Eric Thomas, but yeah. Um, but again, you know, that stuff's great as long as you can use it to kind of act on it, not just top yourself up with the motivation. Cause it just, it can become this just this addiction that you're like, I need, I need a motivational podcast on. And then it doesn't actually do anything. Cause when it's gone, you're left alone and, exactly the same so but yeah th there's some people that i get inspired by quite often yeah that everyone after this podcast you know who to go listen to then you yeah can, you can go jump on a few of those names now is there any yeah. uh new music coming from yourself anytime soon yeah i've got an album uh, a nominate album which is a collaboration with uh another big 140 artist that's been there since a pioneer of that world should i say um that's coming hopefully what august september i'm also working on an outrage album for digital's function records so that's a drum and bass album and then nominate one it's it's mostly 140 but there's a there's some other kind of dubbed out stuff like 100 bpm dub music and stuff in there as well and a few nice collaborations in there and then yeah just running my own label nominate sound on my own drum and bass label backlash i've got an ep coming out on, well not an ep two tracks on an ep for metalheads platinum goldie's label it's a couple of collaborations I've got coming out on Metalheads. Uh, but yeah, always chipping away at getting music out there. Yeah, I love that. And is there any maybe like, I don't know, new producers that we should be listening to? Give us some kind of like a heads up, maybe one or two. It depends what, what yeah, what's on the 140 side of things. Uh, I've got an EP coming out by a guy called Narlith um, from Canada. There's some really kind of nice dubstepy kind of I don't know it's it's just deep melodic kind of eastern ethnic flavors like what I'm into with, with my nominee sound but it just sounds a lot it's just fresh and contemporary but but done in a way that has got enough kind of roughness to to appeal to me so that is a nice uh kind of 140 artist that I'm feeling 
Drum and bass, my boy Nerve from Education and Bass. He's uh he's doing some really nice drum and bass at the moment. Nerve, um, some kind of harder, harder drum and bass. But to be honest, the past few years I haven't really had my ear to the ground as much as I could have because education and bass has taken up a lot of my time. So I'm only now kind of really giving the label a push and getting a bit more on my A&R and looking out for new artists. So maybe people can hit me up with some suggestions. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, <laughs> I was actually going to say, we've got one more question for you then, Andrew. But before we do that, yeah. I want to roll out that red carpet for you. You've already mentioned the album dropping later this year. You've got a few more releases coming. But where can we find you? Where can we find the tools, your educational tools? And uh, where can we maybe just get... I, I don't want to ruin the last question, but I know you give a lot of tips out. So tell us a little bit more about that and where we can find it all. Yeah, so educationandbase.online is the education platform. Um, and we, like, like I say, we do things like the whole Netflix-style pay-as-you-go where you can access those 2,000 videos for all genres. And we also do the more off-the-shelf stuff. So we do dubstep group mentoring, drum and bass group mentoring, and we do an accredited one-year program at the moment called our EBRSL Graded Syllabus. For me, just all things nominate sound, really. Even with my, with my outrage output, I'm kind of just um, pushing the message out under the one roof at the moment. So check out in all things nominate, really, Facebook. Even on, um, what's it called? Uh... TikTok. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm on TikTok just but not not trying to dance or to be funny. I'm just doing my tips to be honest. <laughs> but yeah. you know, different audience and uh, yeah, so amazing. Right, going ahead with the tips. This is a question we always ask every single guest at the end of it. Um but this one I'm hoping you can give me a little bit extra. Now, my final question is advice for your younger self. Now, I'm talking about the Andrew who's in school who now is grown up to be a full-time DJ, producer, educator. What advice would you give to him? And also, can you give us a nominee classic daily tip right on the end of that? Yeah, so to my younger self, I think I would just say you're not stupid because I genuinely believe that for, you know, certainly from an academic stance, you're not stupid and you can learn. It's just different to how you're being told at school that you should be learning. And, you know, you've just got to work out what that way of learning is, whether it's, you know, visual, reading, whatever that might be. You know, the kinesthetic learning, we, we all learn differently. And it's just finding what that is for you. And I believe anyone can learn with the right support and the right way. So that would be the main thing, because then... I genuinely feel like I can learn anything now. The fact that I went on to do a master's and a teaching degree... I genuinely do believe I, I could learn anything I put my mind to. And for me, that's so powerful. So I go back and just tell myself, you can learn anything you want. You've just got to, you know, try and error these different kind of learning, learning methods and find out which one's for you or combination. Beautiful, man. And your daily tip for us today? And a daily tip. I think I'll just go with something that's been kind of on my, on, my, on my mind. It might be something I have said before. I was actually going to use it as a bit of a tip today, but I didn't. So maybe you're getting something a bit more exclusive that was going to be a tip. So there's a lot that we we can't learn from like YouTube, right? So you can go on YouTube and learn how to make beats. But a lot of what people don't teach you is kind of how to prepare yourself for being in the music industry. So the fact that you're going to be broke, there's going to be time you're going to be broke, the rejection, 
the kind of people ignoring you, the egos of the industry, all of the things that you probably hate, you're going to face on a daily basis. And if you don't prepare yourself for that sort of stuff, regardless of the type of music you make, it's not going to be sustainable because you're on your own for the most part. The scene does not care who you are. It doesn't care what you've done. It will pick you up, chew you up and spit you out for no consideration. And I think we need to prepare ourselves before we enter that and not just be fooled into thinking it's this glitzy kind of glamorous thing because it's not. For the most part, it is one of the hardest things you will probably ever do. And when you make it, make it, that's the time you'll work harder than you've ever worked. So you've got to work harder than you've ever worked to get there in the first place. And then when you get there, you've got to work even harder to hold on to it. And I just think people need to prepare themselves for that stuff. Moreover, worrying about how their kick drums sound and their bait and, and their hi-hats and stuff like that, because that's the difference between someone actually doing something with it and not. You've been listening to Almost Famous, a music industry podcast powered by The Famous Company. If you're an independent artist or music industry professional, for more information, head to www.thefamouscompany.com.